Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us over EWTN Radio, so welcome uh, in this uh, middle of the summer, uh, and it's, it's good to have you joining us today. Our guest is Father Randy Musselman, who was uh, our guest on the Journey Home program Monday evening. It's good to have him back, Father Randy. It's good to be here. I enjoyed we, it. We uh, In this program, we kind of look at some scriptures that were key to your own journey, um, both wh- whether it was opening you to the to the beauty of the Catholic Church, but also maybe your 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 own call to the priesthood, mm-hmm. which was something you didn't expect. Right, uh, uh, was not part of the plan when you uh, followed the Lord into the church. But the Lord, I mean, one thing that impressed me about what you said Monday night, which I didn't have a chance for us to reflect on, but to a certain extent. And those of you who didn't see, see the show Monday night, I encourage you to go to EWTN.com because you can watch the program, you can watch it in its reruns, as well as listen to it on the website. But, Father Randy, it, it seemed to me that your own journey says something important about being the, the difference between being open to whatever God might bring versus trying to put God in a box. Oh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't your intent to be a priest exactly you were it seemed that you were open every step along the way to whatever it is the lord wants you to do right in fact it was almost a sense of me dragging my feet into <laughs> ministry uh because i i didn't know that that was where i was supposed to be you have to find that out you have to discover that along the way and uh uh, yeah, it was it was very much me just wanting to be a believer. Uh, that's that's that was the foundation. That was where it started, and perhaps that's where it will end ultimately. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, for each of us, the I think that we live in a culture of progress, aiming high. You can do anything you want. Well, that's good. Yeah. But sometimes it leads people to set goals for themselves that might be quite a bit different. Exactly. Than where God's calling them, and they may end up their lives being disappointed because they didn't accomplish all that they had hoped. When, when maybe it was because they set their goals differently than listening to God. Yeah, yeah. they set their goal different than God's goal. Yeah. Well, one of the verses that, of course, we didn't on Monday night have time to actually go into scripture, but we ask you to choose uh, a scripture. And you chose uh, the section in 1 Corinthians 11, which is really familiar to anyone that attends a Christian tradition that celebrates the Lord's Supper, because these are where we get the institution of the the Lord's Supper, the words of the institution. Before we get into the passage, Father, maybe ask in general, why this passage? Because I think this passage was key for me, because the first thing... In my own journey that I realized uh, before I ever thought about myself being Catholic was that uh, that the Eucharist was real uh, for me, that, it, it, that it, it could not be symbol. And many times I've read this, this passage in 1 Corinthians uh, with the institution of, of the Eucharist, Paul's recitation of, right. of that, and, and you kind of just sort of run through it real fast, and you, you don't really... You don't really hit on it. It just doesn't. It doesn't slam into you, uh, even uh, with verse thirty, which which begins the warning that uh, for those who have received this unworthily, that they've gotten sick, and some have even died. Well, you know, symbols don't make us sick. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, symbols don't kill us. There's no retribution for a symbol. So there had to be. There has to be more to this. So this is this was like my starting place, yeah. and and maybe there's I'm convinced that the whole letter of First Corinthians is written for converts because it, it there's so much in there. There's a reference to purgatory. There's there's so many other yeah. things. You know. you know that's interesting you said that because I've I've wondered about that also in uh, the letters of Luke who was mm-hmm. Paul's assistant, that when you look at the particular parables that Luke chooses to include in his gospel, mm-hmm. John tells us there's 
far more than could be included in the books. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we ask, okay, why these stories? And it's especially Luke chapter 14 and 15, um, when you look at the different accounts like um, Luke 15, which is, of course, the prodigal son stories, mm-hmm. and then before that we've got the different wedding feasts and and the, the, the healings of people. and But they seem to be stories that speak to converts, the right. things that converts go through, because Luke and Paul were always dealing. Right, with converts, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, and we saw that in Acts of, of them being thrown out of places and beaten and, and all of that. Uh, so, it, yeah, it's very much for converts. Uh, the prodigal son is a beautiful one of, uh, you know, coming home, talking about really coming home. Yeah. 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 And, you know, at the chapter after the one we're looking at in First Corinthians 12, we have Paul helping young Christians work together as a family with the gifts they've been given right. and make sure they don't miss love in the process, chapter 13. So all this right. is about helping fairly new, as you said in the program Monday night, reminded us that conversion is a constant journey. Um, so we have to continue to examine ourselves. We think we've arrived. Well, we haven't arrived yet. We've still got a few things to weed out in our – well, we see that. And then first – Corinthians 11, let me read the – where do you want to begin, Father? Um, which verse? Well, let's begin uh, wherever you like, but uh, okay. I was going to begin in, in verse 23. Okay. But just, again, the background, I'm, I'm going to read, if I, if, you, if I could, Father, and you sure. go ahead and reflect. But uh, the – I love verse 1 of verse chapter 11. Just to, just to read that out first where where Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And just, just as the kind of the backdrop. Mm-hmm. Because even all the stuff he's talking about, they received of the Lord and all this, he's recognizing that he has been given a big responsibility to model what it means to follow Jesus. Right, and this is almost a prayer that he has. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that's where he starts out. You know, In a sense, perhaps St. Paul felt that he was giving, been given a... Uh, a real situation here to go, and he had started the church in Corinth, and now he's found out that there's problems, and he's going back, or he's writing a letter to them to straighten things out. And that's the first prayer and advice that he gives, is to be imitators of me. Well, you, not only as a priest, but as a former deacon, Mm -hmm. I've often said this is what a deacon and a priest are all about. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not a boastful thing. I want you to be as good as me. That's not what Paul's saying. He's right. accepting the responsibility that actually he didn't even ask for, right. but the Lord called him. And the reason I wanted to begin there, then we'll jump to 23, is that then he says in 23, and let me read a couple of verses here, Father, and, then, and I'll read through 26, and then I'll let you reflect on this. And again, those of you listening... Remember back, if you're from traditions that only celebrate the Lord's Supper once in a while, remember back, you've heard these words many times. And Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I read the RSV version, Father, mm-hmm. I think a little bit different than the New American Bible. But, I mean, that's the, uh, the core of your priesthood. Oh, yeah. The, not only the core, but it's... Uh it came to us from the apostles, you know, that that St. Paul got this from Jesus. Uh, he got this from the Lord. This isn't something that they said, well, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to have some sort of worship service? Well, let's do this. No, it, it, on the night that he was betrayed, you know, Jesus is the last thing gave this to the apostles. And, uh, you know, this is... This is this is what really unites us. You know. Yeah, in this unique sense, also of Paul um, admits to having a revelation mm-hmm. 
from Jesus, yes, the Lord, right, gave this to him. And we live in a day, Father, when there's a few people walking around. So the Lord told me to do this, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Lord, especially the Lord told me to tell you to do this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> right. And well, we might say, okay, well, let's think about the authority behind this, the trustworthiness behind this, or, or whatever. Well, this is Paul, right? Are we going to take him at his word, or are we going? If we don't take Paul at his word, right? Everything crumbles. Exactly. And, you know, again, this was written long, long time before the Gospel of John that gives us the, the bread of life discourse. You know, this, this is from the very early days of the church, you know, and of, of the evangelization of Paul. And, and it, it seems that he, he, he wants to give the church the most important pieces of information that he can remember this remember that and he's this one of the things that he's that he's giving this uh about uh, about the eucharist and the importance of it if it wasn't important he would have left it out well you had mentioned something before we were beginning and that is that there are many layers to this Mm -hmm. and I, i couldn't agree more and one of them that um that implies in this letter as well as others of his letter is that you know this letter isn't the first time that he's talked with these people right and so he's sending this letter with an assumption that they already have received teaching from him right that he's building on right and as he says in second thessalonians it's oral and written that's right. that's the the truth that he has he's building on it at the end of this chapter in verse 34 he's going to say about the other things i will give directions when i come so right. there's going to be more right and and again it's not written it's 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 things that he's personally giving them divine revelation that comes from the lord that 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 gift of of grace so in 23 I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Mm-hmm. So what he's going to say in this passage, it's not the first time they've heard it. Right. They've heard it over and over and over again. This is the uh, reaffirming portion of this. Again, the Corinthian church had become very uh, divisional. I follow this person. I follow this teaching. I've almost what we would call cafeteria style. And and Paul is... is Pulling in the net, he's he's tightening the circle to bring. These are the things that you need to get back to. These are the basics, and from this you build outwards. Uh, you don't scatter this and start building again. So that's what he wants to do here. It almost reminds you again of something else you and I said before. The we were talking about the changes in the mass. Yes, and as you mentioned that there were play, which I don't even see because they're in the the missile that you use for the mass. But right. there sometimes where it it opened the door for variety right that has been tightened up in this new translation right it would say in these are similar words and gave us uh, some some more leeway but I, I think it's better that we get that we get back to the to the ultimate basic which is the mass that that brings us together and brings about all of this which kind of sounds like that's what Paul's doing in this he, case that's that's what Paul is doing yeah. yeah yeah i mean the different groups are going out there with their own little translations and, right. and they say well, wait, 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 wait. this is what i received that i gave you when i was here right now here it is and as you mentioned most scholars think this was written before any of the gospels oh yeah long before the this was probably written uh it's somewhere around 55, 56 A.D., uh, you know, 20-some years after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. Uh, so this is, this is very early in the history of the church. All right. And then what about the institution itself, Father, the words of the institution? Well, I think Paul is, again, reiterating it, that it's not uh, – that the institution is exactly that – it's these words, and he's giving them those words again. And miraculously, it's the same words that we use in the Mass for the, insta- for the consecration of the Eucharist. That it's, it's, 
it's not just a, a food party or it's not just we're going to sit down and have a meal. You know, this is this is really the Eucharist, and the Eucharist is brought about by these words, the words of the of the priest, and we can't forget that. That's that again. He's taking them back to basics. When you were a Baptist, my guess is that you probably celebrated the Lord's Supper once a month or once well, a quarter. Once a month, yeah, once a month. With these words, similar, very similar words, yeah. Uh, but uh, again, it was uh, it was once a month, and you know, very simple, you know. My guess is, if we went down to the very words themselves, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's in many ways, it's from those words that are separated, brothers and sisters, get the idea that it was merely a symbol. Well, I think we've more tried to put it into a symbol because we're comfortable with that. You know, uh, I've seen translations of the Bible that says, uh, "This is like my body." Okay, that would be a symbol. Then, you know, this this pen is like something else that I have. But when it says it's very definitive, "This is my body." Now it's now it's not symbol anymore. Now it's reality. It brings those words bring something into reality. Uh, those words bring the bread, the unconsecrated bread, into the reality of the Eucharist. Uh, it's uh, yeah. The, the, again, those as there, you've said, the, there's a layer there, many layers, and as you pull back one, you discover another yeah. one. And I think too many times as a Baptist. I've just again zoomed through this and read that. Oh, that's nice and and everything. Yeah, we have we have communion, but it it there's a difference between communion and institution of the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah, and one of those layers would be in historically we remember the image of Luther banging the table. Um, it's a historical event when he was in a room banging the table with the other reformers. And he's banging the table because in German he's demanding that it is the body of Christ. He does not want to let go of it being the body of Christ. This is my body, he's, he's saying in German. And you had um, the, the the more radical reformers going the symbol route. Right. And um, the the problem was, now when we look back, is that Luther, in opening the door, found himself in an indefensible position because that which he had thrown out, which is the authority of the church and therefore the priesthood, he no longer had a, a foundation to stand on to demand that it was that which Christ said it was. Because without the church, without the priesthood, then then what about the words of institution? Can anybody say them? Do they have any meaning, any foundation? Right. He found out he had painted himself into a corner. There was no place to go from here. And, uh, you know, whether he even gave, I think, the analogy of an eight-year-old child, uh, you know, reading the, the words of Scripture. And and then all of a sudden it, it, a light went off and he said oops you know yeah. where do we go from here you yeah know? yeah yeah and i mean there is again this is this uh, the significance which you would see if we had time to look into some of the writings of the early church fathers where we see them saying that where the bishop is there's the eucharist yeah well even saint paul here before we even get to chapter 11 i think it's in verse chapter 4 where uh, paul says i have become uh, uh, for I became your father in Christ through the gospel, you know, and and again a reference to his leadership in in the church and his his apostolic authority in the in the in the body of Christ and and it's there that he begins to go through all of this and and he doesn't leave out the Eucharist. Uh, there, there, he, you know, he gives as you uh, as you had said previously, he gives advice to married couples. He, you know, he, there's there's this whole letter seems to be about conversion. Yeah. Uh, the next um, 
verse 25 in the same way also the cup after supper saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me one thing that struck me in the new mass is we've got no longer the word cup but chalice chalice right do you know the the, the decision the significance behind that uh why they made that signi- that well the whole the distinct- whole the whole translation is that it raises the language to a new level there's language there's common language that we talk about you know this this coffee cup that i have here is a cup and it's used i use it to drink water out of or coffee but uh, for the Eucharist, that's another level. That's, we're taking it to a new level. And then for that, it, a cup won't do. It has to be a chalice. We're, la- we're raising our language to a new level now uh, because it, it's, it's, it's better than what we do in everyday life. Uh, we've seen that now. We need to, we need to make the mass, uh, the language of the mass higher. This is this is a this is a new language. This is our best language. Uh, so that's that's why we use yeah, chalice. Yeah, it's 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 good because it breaks us from what we're used to hearing every mass forever. The the chalice catches us. Right. I think it's a it's a wonderful awakening there that this is significant. Let's don't miss this. this yeah, moment. I, I'm often wondered if it if it isn't something that we actually got from the Eastern Church. You know, the Eastern Church. Their liturgy, uh, they don't have mass, they have liturgy, but their liturgy becomes a special time. You know, they, they have a, they have a, uh, the, the, I want to call it a barricade, but the, the yeah. break between the, the pews and the altar, and they, they open a gate, and the lights come up, it's, the symbolism is that we've entered heaven, and we use different language now, we use different things, things are, that are, that are absolutely holy because of their mission of what they use. And that's that's what's happened in the new Mass. We've, yep. we've elevated it. When he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, um, again, there's many layers there. Yeah. Right, Father? Yeah, yeah, there's many layers there. He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to, you know, the fulfillment of the covenant, uh, you know. And now there's there's this new covenant. You know, the image that I have is... Jesus and the disciples are at the Last Supper. It's something they've done many, many times. And all of a sudden, now something is different. Jesus takes out the bread, probably just the same way that he did the previous year, and he broke it, and he said those words and gave the bread to them, and they realized, this is not the same as last year. <laughs> this is different now. Uh, now there's, there's something new here. The potential was always there. Like a wallet has potential. All you need to do is plug something into it. And the, the Passover supper was the, had the potential. It was waiting for Jesus to say those words of institution. And now it has a whole new meaning. And that's that new covenant. Well, here we are 2,000 years, and we're so accustomed to saying Old Testament and New Testament because we know right. – we just say it. We know what we're talking about. Right. But long before – it was ever called the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. It was this. Right. Right. Exactly. It is, it is this chalice of the blood of Christ that is the New Testament. Right. The New Covenant. Exactly. And and you can't have one without the other. I mean, it was the the death of Christ on the cross and the spilling of his blood there. The meaning for that otherwise um, crucifixion of a, quote, criminal – the reason that became a sacrifice is because of this. Right. Well, again, St. Paul, in the very beginning of Corinthians in chapter 2, he says, I only know Christ and him crucified. He starts out at that crucifixion. He starts out there. And before he ever gets there, so you have that in your mind as you're working through this, as we work out our salvation, we're coming through here. And we hit this, uh, the institution of the Eucharist, crucifixion, sacrifice, institution. Okay, we're going to break in a second. When we get back, we'll look there at verse 26. He said there's a lot of layers, a good, a good passage, Father. Uh, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We'll look at that when we come back from our break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Father Randy Musselman. And you're hearing this on EWTN, 
your global Catholic radio network. This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody. I'm joined today by Father Randy Musselman. You know, Father, I didn't even ask you on the Monday night program what parish you're involved with. And... Oh, I'm, uh, I'm associate pastor of Nativity Catholic Church in Hollywood, Florida, a great place. And if there's any parishioners listening right now, hello. Um, <laughs> It's a great, it's a wonderful parish, wonderful, wonderful to be involved with there. Well, again, I didn't mention it on the program, but I used to be a pastor down there not all that far away right. from mm-hmm. you, but I wasn't a Catholic then. I was a congregational pastor down at the church at church on Broward Boulevard, right on, right off of Alligator Alley, I think, right, straight yeah. across. And, uh, I remember a couple times enjoying getting up early in the morning and watching the sunrise uh, by Fort Lauderdale, then driving across the state and watching it set over in yeah. Naples. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed doing that. When I, of course, I grew up in Ohio, so my time in Florida was short, but uh, enjoyed it. Let's look back in, in verse twenty-six here at First Corinthians chapter eleven. Paul writes, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes." Mm-hmm. So there's a sense which is not merely a quote symbol of the past, but it has a proclamation for the future. Right, uh, not this is one not a one time event, uh, and that's, and I I think again there's a there's a verse there that we just miss as often as you do this, uh, you know, we just miss that it's it, it, it this was a one time event and all we're doing is merely reenacting it and that's not the case as Protestants probably that was the case but the reality of it is. Uh, that every time we do this, we're participating again. We're active participants in this. And I think that's what St. Paul is telling us, that when we do this, we're we're making something happen. We're making the proclamation. We're continuing the proclamation in our lives. um, There's another layer in this verse that strikes me when I look back on my own journey to the Catholic Church in that I remember as a Protestant um, belittling Catholics because they have a, a, uh, a body on their cross. And I remember used to saying that, therefore, Catholics don't believe in the resurrection. They're focused on the death of Jesus. And I might say, look at our cross we've you know i carry a cross around my neck or in my pocket or i have it on a wall but it doesn't have the body of christ anymore because i believe in the resurrection right well here's paul saying 
that it proclaims what? The Lord's death until right. he comes. Right. Well, we weren't, we weren't healed. We weren't cleansed of our sins. We weren't made whole by his resurrection. We were made whole by his death. Uh, that's that was the that was the act that forgave us our sins, and we need to realize that again. Saint Paul says, "I only know Christ and Him crucified." He goes back to that over and over and over again because that's where it all began. That's where our healing began. That's where our forgiveness began, and that's uh, that's where our identity comes from. So we need to see that body on the Christ. Yes, there was a re- resurrection. Yes, there was an ascension, but. Uh, the the price was paid. The blood was splattered on the propitiatory, on the on the mercy seat, uh, by the high priest. And Jesus was both the high priest and the blood and the mercy seat, all in one. So uh, that's where it took place. All right, thank you, Father. The next section is the section that our audience may not be as familiar with. It isn't read every time there's a celebration of the Lord's Supper. In fact, it is rarely read. Right. Um, They don't want to read it. (laughs) They don't want to read it because, number one, if they take it seriously, they don't want to read it. But if they don't take it seriously, they don't know what to do with it. Right. Which I didn't as a Presbyterian pastor. Let me read it again, Father, and then then go ahead and comment, beginning in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner— will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Let's pause there, Father. Yeah. Again, that's... As you said, as Protestants, we got to a point where, uh, what do we do with this? How do we explain this? How do we, how do we incorporate this in, in any sense? Because, uh, you know, it's it's, it's if it's there. just a symbol, yeah, you know, if we're just eating a cracker and and drinking some juice, as I did when I was thirteen years old, then, you know, how do I how do I bring this into reality? Uh, how do I deal with this? But yet we know that there's uh, that there are venial sins and mortal sins because John tells us so. But uh, you know now what do we do with it? And and I think the key here is that discernment before it happens. That we need and and maybe that's the real warning that Saint Paul is telling us. We need to discern our own souls and and see what. Uh, you know what needs to be taken care of, and as it as it says in the gospel, if you if you come bearing gifts to the to the altar, and you have something against a brother or, or someone else, you need to go and resolve that. Leave your gifts at the altar and go and resolve that. And maybe that's what Saint Paul is telling us. But the, again, this is if this was symbol, it wouldn't matter what we did with this. But he's really warning us that this is not symbol because there's been death. Yeah. attributed to this. Yeah, and there's I remember that passage as well as all of these, but I remember that one. 30. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Mm-hmm. See, I remember in my own theology kind of basically saying Paul goofed here. Yeah. In other words, well, we we know in the Old Testament that people quote misunderstood End of quote. When something bad would happen, they would they must have sinned. Right. And even Jesus dealt with that when right. he asked, well, "Well, when that tower fell on those people, was it because of their sin?" Right. Uh, so he basically, it's not a direct connector. So, well, Paul must have missed up here. You know, we do that. We're kind of lifting ourselves up. We think we know better than Paul. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's too bad Paul wasn't as wise as me uh, yeah. um, to understand. It's, well, no, 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 wait, this is Scripture, and it's right. Paul. Right. So what does he mean? You know, he means that it, in the same way, right, Father, like in in Acts chapter 4, I think it was, when Ananias and Sapphira uh, sold a bunch of stuff but lied about it and right. got zapped. Right. It doesn't mean every time for the rest of Christian history, every time that happens, but there was a warning there. Right. 
Well, there was a, and it's just the same way as they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and it starts to fall off the wagon, and a man stops it, and he is killed. You know, that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that everybody that touches it is going to die, but on this particular case, at this point in time, this was the warning. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, he is saying that awakening these people to really what's going on there. Now, it seems that there's two things going on here, mm-hmm. Father Andy. One, there's the need to deal with what you bring to the Eucharist. So, in other words, you're not coming in an unworthy manner. Right. And then the second thing is, in the in the context of the Eucharist, the discerning of the body. Right. And both are important. Both are important. Both can you cannot get away from from either one. Uh, we need to discern who we are, and and again, we need to to unite the body. This unites the body again. This brings us all together. This is this is our unifying force here in this, and and that warning means to take this seriously, not to um, not to uh, move this off in another direction. I'll never forget is when I was a deacon in the Baptist church. I once asked the pastor about communion. I said, "We use unleavened bread." Uh, because that's what they used, but we we have, and I was at the time filling these little cups with grape juice. I said, but, uh, you know, Jesus used wine, and he said, oh, I don't think so. I said, I think uh, what Jesus really used was, was grape juice, and I'm thinking, no self-respecting Jew would be caught dead drinking grape juice at Passover. It just <laughs> wouldn't happen, uh, and for, for, you know, ever since the Exodus, you know they have been they have been doing it this way. In fact, they, now they use very small cups so that they don't get drunk on the wine. Uh, so if we're going to do this, we should. If it's going to be simple, we should at least do it right. You know. In fact, I may be wrong in this, but I don't think people in general drank grape juice right until Welch's pasteurized it. Right. Exactly. Until then, you waited until it fermented. Right. So that you could drink it. Right. I mean, I think that was the thing. So that's absurd. I'm, um, I'm thinking of this, this verse twenty-seven where it talks about uh, whoever therefore eats the bread of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of Christ. That to me speaks about the need. That's why Catholics are encouraged to make sure they go to confession. Right. Well, at one time uh, in the church, and not that long ago, you went to confession every Saturday before Sunday Mass, uh, just to make sure. And a a lot of times that was because people didn't know uh, if they had any mortal sins or not. They would... They would they would go tell all their sins to the priest, and then they would find out. And I still have that happening. People will come into my confessional, and they'll say, "Father, I don't know if this is a sin, but I need to, I need to confess it and see if it is." And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. But uh, they need to do that. But the fact is, uh, we need to we need to really discern whether we are unworthy because of our actions. That this is something that's so holy that we need to take care of that before we we profane ourselves uh, because it has a backlash it's almost like newton's laws of uh, you know for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction and uh, if you go and do something and you are unworthy what reaction is going to take place either we're profaning ourselves or we're profaning the lord but this is real yeah, to me this is an example of where the catholic church takes scripture very seriously very seriously perhaps more serious than than any other denomination, even though we've been accused of the opposite. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a as an evangelical Protestant, I would have prided myself on being uh, committed to Scripture, taking it as literally as I could, right. except for John chapter six. Well, I there's didn't take a, seriously. There's another and this one. one. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know what to do with this. I avoided it, yeah. and there's a number of places that yeah. I've avoided. But I think Catholics take it seriously. You can be. As a Catholic, you can go to the ultimate extreme, like you said, a confession every Saturday, just to be sure. That might be a little too scrupulous. But we've gone to the other extreme, too, where some Catholics, if they get to confession once a year, they take it too yeah. little. Yeah. Whereas this is what the Scripture says. This is why, in fact, the Church 
emphasizes that every Catholic at least once a year, at least, minimum. Why? Because, as it says in 1 John, none of us can claim we're without sin. Right. And so in that sense, there's not a one of us that... What do we say in the Mass? Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, or now to have you come under my roof. Right. Again, that Cornelius passage, and I'm not worthy for you to be here or for be under my roof and, and all of that. We're going to take another break, Father. I want to make sure we also look again um, at 29. Right. What does it mean without discerning the body? Right. What, what do we mean? How can we make sure we're not guilty of that to make sure that we're following Scripture and being as intimate with our Lord as, as we can. We'll come back in just a moment with that. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Father Randy Musselman. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1 800 664 5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father Randy Musselman. Um, and he's joining us from uh, his parish in uh, Florida. He's come and join us. There's a lot in here, Father, but I did want to make sure we looked at that next. So if, if verse 27 it kind of touches us on our need to examine ourselves as we enter into the presence of our Lord um, to receive him, that it is important, it seems, in verse 29, that we believe who it is we are receiving. It seems that that verse at least seems to point to that reality. In other words, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Right. um, That there is is a, a, a judgment there. That it it really reflects back on verse twenty seven again. Whoever eats the bread, you take on the responsibility of discerning that body, and the body that it's speaking about is the body of Christ. And it's you know how do we, uh, what do we say about that? Are, are we really just going through the motions with this, or do we really believe? Is this is this our belief? There's a price to pay for this. Again, if Luke is the the companion of Paul, and they're working in the same situations and often dealing with converts and helping them understand it is significant that it was Luke that conveys the story in the Emmaus Road that shows that it was in the breaking of the bread that they realized who it was in their presence. Right. They had heard the words. They had seen him. They had walked with him. They got to their... They had sat down with him probably prayed with him but it wasn't until he broke that bread that they saw the nail marks in his hands uh, that uh, the the breaking of the bread opens the door to everything and what did they say after Jesus gets up and leaves and they say don't leave stay with us uh, <laughs> and and then what does that do that causes them to run back to Jerusalem back to the upper room to tell the disciples, Peter and the and the, the apostles, we have seen him. You know, he is risen. This recently, um, we had a a family member join us uh, for mass, uh, who isn't a, a Catholic. And of course, when it came time to to scooch out of the pew and walk forward to receive our Lord, uh, that non-Catholic family member had to stay in the pew or chose. They could have come forward to receive mm. a, a blessing, but they chose it. So the whole congregation is getting up and moving forward, and they're sitting there. And the person didn't say anything, but knowing this person, 
And knowing my experience in the past, I could see them being a little disgruntled. Why can't I receive like all of you? And you, you Catholics are selfish and you're not really caring about him. But the truth is, we take these verses seriously. Right. We discern the body. Right. We discern this. We, we, we break this apart as the bread breaks. We break this apart into ourselves. Perhaps we even break ourselves open to see this, you know. Uh, there, there has to be an understanding there of what is taking place and how we fit into that. You know, we become the Eucharist ourselves. We become what we eat. You know, we become what we consume. Yeah, the as a priest, therefore, you're in that position um, where you you offer our Lord to those that come forward. Mm-hmm the body of Christ. Right. Uh, and our response is amen right. before we receive our Lord. And that amen is intended to mean a lot. Yes. Maybe talk about that to our yeah. audience. That amen is not merely just simple word. It means a lot. Oh, no. In, in fact, uh, at the seminary, we had, a, we had a tradition of instead of saying amen, we would say, I believe. The body of Christ, the, the priest or the deacon or the minister would hold up the, the consecrated host and say, the body of Christ. And as we received it, we would say, amen. I believe. I believe exactly what you're saying. I discern that and I believe it and I make it mine. I become united with you. Now there's not just one person that's, that's holding up a piece of bread. It's, there's two people there with the body of Christ, uh, putting them together, uh, you know. In fact, I look at it as there's one person with the Eucharist, uh, two people with the Eucharist between them. It's like the Eucharist becomes the glue that binds them together. And maybe it's the Eucharist that binds us all together as believers in the in the one church, the Roman Catholic Church. And it, then it, it, it's another onion there with more layers. It's, it's the Eucharist that binds us together as married couples or binds me to the priesthood. You know, as some married men wear a wedding ring, I have a chalice that becomes the essence of my wedding ring and my marriage because it, it, it brings about the reality of the Eucharist. You know, and I, you know, uh, I'm at an altar and, um, you know, there's, we need to look at it more than than it could ever possibly be symbol. Whoever ever took the first chance and thought that it was a symbol actually didn't quite understand yeah. everything. There's too much there. Yeah, and the understanding, the discerning of the body and blood of Christ makes all the difference to everything that takes place in that sanctuary in Mass. Oh, absolutely. Why we're kneeling. Right, why we're kneeling. It's as if everything else in the world stopped, and this is the only thing that becomes real. Everybody is kneeling. You know, the priest genuflects uh, after he says the words of consecration. You know, uh, I, I elevate the consecrated host, and the first I get, the hair stands up on the back of my neck about what has just transpired here. <laughs> And in silently I say, my Lord and my God, with the, with the Eucharist elevated. And then I, I slowly lower it and put it back on the patent. And then I genuflect. I'm in union with the, with the, the believers. Uh, we're all kneeling in the presence of Christ. And, and it, you know, then again I take the, the chalice, just as St. Paul says here. It's exactly as he said it, you know. Uh, I take that chalice and I, I consecrate the wine that's there. Wine, not grape juice. Wine. You know, when uh, we were in the seminary, we used to practice with Coke and a potato chip. You know, <laughs> it cracks me up in this. Uh, the context here, even he's addressing people that that again, there are people there that don't understand. But if, Verse 31, but if we judge ourselves truly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are chastened so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So we're standing in judgment before God. It's not one another looking at old Fred over there or whatever. It's, it's between us and God. Right. 
there is a crisis and crema there, a, a judgment and a punishment. There's, there's reality there. There's the person of Jesus there that we have to confront and who confronts us uh, as judge or savior. You know, how, do we, how do we view him? Would we see him on the street and say, that's just another guy? You know, or do we see the consecrated Eucharist and say that's merely symbol? You know? Yeah, I'm thinking about uh, you know the times, especially when I've been in very crowded parishes, and it's time to come forward and receive. And each parish might do a little bit differently in how you get out of your pew and where you go, and, right. and, and you know, and sometimes it's not as. And the next one, the verse. Is uh, so then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another, right? <laughs> so that the, on the one hand, verse thirty-three talks about the body and how we live together and how we put others first, and then thirty-four, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together to be. Again, those people just don't get it. Right. This is not a, merely a meal. Right. Well, it, it goes back again to that <laughs> agape feast where they would they would show up and stuff themselves with bread and drink the wine until they were half smashed. And, and it, it's more than that, you know. Again, this is not the first time these people have heard this. This is a reiteration from Paul that says, I'm going to repeat myself to you in case you guys didn't get it right the first time. You know, this wait for one another, be patient with one another, be united. All of us are in this together. Don't start feeding on this before Joe gets here or before Mary or Sally or Phil or somebody. Do this in unison. This is ours. We take ownership of this. Yeah, and even those that that truly get it and really believe this is the body of Christ, I can almost imagine someone there wanting to take it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. This is to be shared. Right. This is for the whole group. And then the last verse about the other things, I will give you directions when I come. I can almost imagine them having a bunch of questions about all the other aspects of the liturgy. But he nails the one thing that's important. Right. Right. The the rest of stuff I'll talk to you about. But the reality of Jesus in the bread, in the cup, that's central. Central and it's real. Father, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. It's been my pleasure to be here. It's, it's been wonderful. Well, I hope you've enjoyed your trip here, and we appreciate your words. And, and of course, we ask God's blessing on your work that, as a priest, which, thank you. As, I I mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, was not something you had anticipated many years ago, but it was the, the, the journey that God's brought you to. So thank you very much. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us on this program. Again, if you'd like to find out more about our work, you can go to chnetwork.org. That's the website for the Coming Home Network International. And you can watch our watch this program of Father and I sitting here in the studio, if you'd like, and also see the other programs that we offer, all of which is to help you grow deeper in Scripture and deeper in Christ. God bless. See you next week.